Hey Blenders, on this week's episode, we go back to our awards blend roots by breaking down the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice nominations. We have Kevin McDonald as our guest discussing the Mauritanian, and you have homework for this weekend. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 153 of Real Blend, a podcast hosted by three men who just this week received Best Actor nominations from the Critics' Choice Awards. Congratulations, guys. Uh, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend and the co-host of the Real Blend podcast. On this week's show, we are going full awards blend, back to our roots to talk about the Golden Globe nominations, the Critics' Choice Association nominations, uh, and a ton of other really big things coming up, including Oscar predictions from us. Of course, scratching the surface, the Oscars don't happen for another six months, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, we have a ton of great films hitting this weekend for um, us to discuss and review, and director Kevin MacDonald joins us to discuss his new film, The Mauritanian, and by us, I mean Jake Hamilton of Vox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. My man, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Congratulations on your nomination. Uh, and also Kevin we McCarthy. We have to explain that joke. So the joke is, and Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5, Washington, D.C. Hey. Hi, Kev. Congratulations hey on, on your Best Actor nomination as well, too. So uh, we're all members of the Critics' Choice Awards, and um, every year it feels like when our nominations come out, and I'm, I'm playfully poking fun at our organization, um, they went from like five nominees, which is normal, uh, to seven, which felt excessive. And then this year, eight. Uh, and I'm starting to wonder if just everyone gets a nomination Basically, for Critics' Choice. Basically, if you were in a movie, yeah. you're nominated for Best Actor. Yeah, for the most part. And yeah. I think it cheapens it, but we'll get to that. It we'll get to the awards talk. It. Did uh, June Squibb later. get in for Hubie? No, she did not. Not even for <laughs> costume design. What? <laughs> Whoever... Was the costume designer on Hubie <laughs> deserves an Oscar for getting June Squibb to wear those shirts. But um, I know that Bloodshot is up for visual effects for the Oscars. <laughs> and if you go back and watch of all the, things, the visual effects for Bloodshot, Wait, they are I atrocious. saw a tweet about this, that Bloodshot yeah. was on a short list, but Invisible Man wasn't. Correct. Yes. Invisible what? Man did not get nominated or is not on the, the short list of candidates for... Oscar visual effects. I'm here to uh, I'm here to inform our listeners that uh, Real Blend is now cancelled. There's no reason to talk about movies anymore. They're broken. They're all broken. The system's just... Hi Gabe Kovach. How are you doing? Hi, how's it going? Um, the last 20 minutes of Bloodshot is literally a cartoon Vin Diesel <laughs> fighting against a cartoon villain and, and it might get an Oscar or at least a nomination. For and least. it was deemed more worthy than what Lee Wanell did. If you are moment. watching us on YouTube, uh, hello, nice to see you guys there. Uh, please go down and hit subscribe and uh, hit the like button, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications, do all the jazz you're supposed to do on YouTube. If you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, uh, hit to the description down below and figure out how to go watch us on YouTube and give us a link over there. You will be able to watch Kevin McDonald this week and you'll be able to go back and watch all of our fun celebrity interviews. Sean, uh, back, back, it, back it up, Jimmy. Back it, back, back it up a little. You mind repeating all that one more time? Can you repeat everything you just said one more time for me? 
Yeah, sure. Thank you. If you were watching, <laughs> back it up, Jimmy. Uh, back it up, Jimmy. Have you signed up for Real Blend Premium? If you like this show, which is the free model that we do uh, on a weekly basis, we are doing additional shows, uh, more show, more Real Blend content, and uh, and you can do that by joining. Let's see, where do you want to go? Hold on, bit.ly slash Real Blend Premium. You get ad-free versions of the show. Uh, you get the extra segment that I talk about. You get a newsletter that I write every other week uh, with fun topics that are interesting to me. And uh, we'll discuss WandaVision and the amount of exposition that are packed if in. If you like packed the into. free version of us, yeah. wait till you get a hold of the $5 version of us. Just you wait. Yeah, it's a lot of good Just stuff in there. Just you wait. All right, we're going to get to our uh, interview for the Mauritanian uh, and director Kevin McDonald. But before we do that, we want to comment, obviously, on the passing of Christopher Plummer. Uh, happened recently, uh, depending on when you guys are listening to it. Uh, just a tremendous actor who has had an incredible impact on the industry, uh, touched on so many different genres. I'm not even quite sure what you could celebrate as. Like, I, I know people go back to like Sound of Music as obviously one of his most pivotal roles, but between The Insider, between yeah, his recent Yeah, for me, it's role, The Insider. Is it really? I mean, I yeah. know Knives Out put him when, back on everybody's yeah. radar, and when the uh, when the when the what is it? The the, the network lawyer calls him Mike. And he turns around and he says, try Mr. Wallace. Like, oh, just, oh, I love it. Yeah, um, just a really great actor. And to me, hearing of his passing was a reminder that a lot of these actors, actresses who we've grown up with, you know, who we've just gotten used to having them around, we're starting losing them in the next few years. And it's yeah. depressing. I hate to sort of do it that way. But I, I feel like this is like an obvious one to go to, but I still am astounded by what him and Ridley Scott pulled off with that, with that. Was it all the money in the oh, world? Oh yeah, all the money in the yep. world. And that was because that was one of the two times I had gotten the chance to sit down with him. But uh, but aside from that, it was the fact that what I think he was close to ninety years old by the time he did that. So like, he not only I mean, he kept acting un until the very end, essentially. And I think that's an interesting thing because he didn't have to, mm -hmm. and he just loved the craft so much. I think he was ninety one when he passed. And, you know, but I just still find it so interesting because, like, I don't know what the time frame was. Obviously, for people who don't remember this, Kevin Spacey was in the film. They took him out of the movie and Plummer came in, I think, shot everything in a matter of days yeah. or less days than weeks. Was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they they were, was such a crazy story. They were up well, against a release date. It was coming yeah. very quickly. And he just and stepped, he in stepped and did up it. and did it, which is wild to me. And, like, and, and again, thinking about his age, he was great. Not, I mean, Knives Out was... He's the center focus of the whole story. It's great, yeah, he's, he's like the he was like he's he's in every scene, even though he's not in every scene. Essentially, Kevin, wish, did, didn't you feel like we we both had the, the pleasure of chatting with him? Didn't you feel like he he was sort of that guy that was at the crossroads of an incredibly kind person, like was mm. never never demeaning or rude, but Harrison but Ford like. I, I would say kind of like just the sort of guy that like didn't suffer fools, right? Like, that made you kind of want to step your game up. A little bit as as an interviewer, like you you weren't going to do a bit with him, but if you went in there and you asked questions about the craft, he was going to give you one hell of an answer. Well, that's I say Harrison Ford like because Harrison Ford, I felt like Christopher Plummer also didn't love talking about like some of his 
like like sound of music mm-hmm. i feel like he was just yeah i always heard, i never asked him but i always heard he didn't like talking about sound of music and mm-hmm. i didn't know that and i did bring it up and he, I mean, he he gave me an answer but i could tell he wasn't as passionate to talk about it and mm-hmm. this is not doesn't mean he, anything bad Plummer was actually super nice and inc- incredibly uh respectful but to jake's point there was something about like him where you did uh, you wanted to do better when you spoke to him um mm-hmm. and he was never ever rude but there were times where, like if you'd ask him something that i think maybe he'd heard a million times he kind of let you know in his body language like like i've i've talked about this before like yeah. a million times yeah. before i'm like yeah i mean it's the like, dude's it's like an actor 90. saying a line yeah yeah so i mean yeah. I, and, I, and also after 50 years of sound of music it's probably hard to ask him a question about that movie that he hasn't been asked already right and I walked, I, I, remember, I remember leaving the room and going, that was really cool. Like, it was just, like, iconic to talk to him. It was, my question was more about, I think it was something along the lines of, like, what, what, what do you still pull from that experience that you would still use now? But, like, he just didn't, like, he, in question. his mind, they're, they're, they're two different things. Like, he didn't think sure. about, he doesn't think about it like that. And I was like, okay, cool, man. And so, like, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. There was, like, a, you wanted to do better when you talked to him, and you could tell when your question might not have been good enough, essentially. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Beginners uh, with Ewan oh McGregor God. from 2010, uh, really he didn't do that junket. At least I didn't get him for that junket. Mm. Mm, I don't remember okay. that. And that's a movie he won the Oscar for. It is, yeah. And he's phenomenal in it. Oh, it's unbelievable. That was one of those. Yeah, really great. Uh, let's get to The Mauritanian, which is a film that's been, uh, I think, a little bit flying under the radar, but deserves your attention because it's a really important story about a guy who is um, unfairly detained or wrongly detained uh, at Guantanamo. And it, it's, um, it tells three different stories about not just the person who's in the prison, excuse me, but then the two sides that are, there's a prosecutor, prosecutorial prosecute, the prosecutor uh, on the one end, and then the defense on the other side. And Jodie Foster is playing the one side of the legal argument. Benedict Cumberbatch is playing the other side of it. Um, and it's it's a lot of conversations about people's rights, especially at the time when, when we were, and we probably still are, uh, putting people in Guantanamo Bay and interrogating them during a really difficult post-9-11 um, period of American history. And so Kevin MacDonald is tackling this, and we were able to talk to him for the benefit of the Mauritanian, which is coming to theaters uh, this Friday. So without further ado, dive into our conversation about all things the Mauritanian. I was really compelled watching this film play out. It's almost like there were three narratives running at once, each of them worthy of their own film. Uh, there's the prosecution, the defense, and then, of course, um, the story of Salahi. And so I wondered if you were given 20 additional minutes of screen time, where would you spend it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. I mean, I think you're right that, that that was one of the real challenges of making this film is that there's three compelling stories, three amazing actors, by the way, playing those those roles. And, um, you know, it, it was a juggle, particularly in the edit saying, you know, Ooh, we need to go back to Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, we, do we know enough about Jody? We, you know, and um, yeah, maybe, it, it, you know, I did sometimes wonder whether a three hour Netflix series might be a better way to go. But, <laughs> um, but I, I think, I think um, if I had those extra 20 minutes, I would probably have put them into dividing them between Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, uh, role as the prosecutor. He has this incredible arc. He's a guy who's, whose friend has been killed in 9-11. He was a co-pilot in, the, in, in one of the planes that flew into the Twin Towers. And um, uh, he realizes at the beginning of, of, of the film that the guy he's been asked to prosecute, this prisoner in Guantanamo Bay, is the guy who's meant to have recruited the terrorist who killed his friend. Mm-hmm. 
So Slahi was, was accused, amongst other things, of being a recruiter for 9-11. And um, so he's got real beef with this guy, you know, and he really, you know, if he's talked to the real Stuart Couch, you know, he really wanted to see this guy go to the chair. Hmm. So it was deeply personal. And um, uh, he then has this, goes on this incredible journey of realizing that actually the whole system that he spent his life trusting as a Marine, um, as an American uh, 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 army lawyer, um, that actually there's something rotten about it. And that he is a Christian man, a man of good conscience, cannot continue with, the, with this lie that this, that this prosecution is safe and that he has to stand up and do what nobody else around him will do and say, this is not good enough. This is not what America is meant to be like. And, and I'm not going to prosecute this guy. Mm. Um, and a lot of people, you know, I, I think that, that, that story, you know, you could make a whole film out of that story. And I did feel like we slightly short changed him on the, on, on, on the emotions of all of that. Oh, I won't. I don't think that's the takeaway at all, necessarily. It did make me want to sort of go back and, and read more of it. But what I found most challenging about the, the narrative, too, is that there's no easy point of view for the audience to go in. Uh, people who you think are the heroes or the, the there are no heroes and villains in this story. There's no exactly. easy. And I think that's that's, you know, I could be pompous and say, you know, that's that's sort of perfect for a time like the one we're living in, where everything is about partisanship and whatever. And I do believe that. But. I also think that it actually just makes it more interesting as a movie because, you know, I think one of the things that's happening with film is that as TV is getting better and better and better, mm. um, the old kind of simplistic three-act structure, the hero, the villain, whatever, has become kind of boring for people because they're used to knowing their characters in much greater depth through mm. you know, really fantastic TV shows. So I think um, audiences are pretty sophisticated these days in not having to be sort of handheld into thinking, oh, you know, that's the good guy, that's the bad guy, this is, you know. And so you're able to narratively surprise people. I would also say that, you know, the whole point of, of making this film for me was to show the world this incredible guy, Slahi, who's a victim of, of outrageous miscarriage of justice. You know, and at core, that's what the film is, is a story of miscarriage of justice. Um, but he came out having been possibly the worst tortured person in Guantanamo, 14 years in there. Um, and he's not bitter. He's actually come out loving a lot about America. He loves, he loves American popular culture. He can sing like country songs that his guards used to play. He's seen more American movies than you have from the years 2000 to 2015 uh, because his guards would bring him the, these movies on DVD. He'd sell my movie, Last King of Scotland, there. He had a very interesting conversation about it. He's seen the Big Lebowski 86 times. And <laughs> he, can, he can quote every line of that movie, I'm telling you. And that's why at the end of this film, you hear him singing the Bob Dylan song, um, because that's the, you know, the Dylan song from, uh, from the Big Lebowski. So, you know, he is a character who, uh, he doesn't judge people and say, you're the bad guy, I'm the good guy, whatever. What's amazing about him and why I wanted to tell this story is that he's a guy who has empathy for everyone. He wants to understand everyone. Mm -hmm. And when you meet him, that's what you get. He asks you questions, which, which you know, he just wants to get to know you. What do you think? What do you feel? He's, an, he's, he's, he's a unique person. That's fantastic. Um, it, I would assume it would be difficult, it would have been difficult to try to tell a story that would in any way garner sympathy uh, for someone who was in Guantanamo. 
uh, because in the run-up, you know, sort of shortly after 9-11, there were a rush of stories to try to tell any sort of version of what happened on that fateful day. Um, but I think having distance from the event affords you the ability to tell a different story. Do you, did you find that as well, too, trying to put the story together? Yeah, totally. Look, this is a movie that can only be told, I think, now at a reasonable distance. I think, you know, obviously for the people who lost loved ones in 9-11, it's still very real and very present to them every day. But for... Uh, the majority of people around the world, and I think for the majority of Americans, it's kind of now slipped far enough away that it's becoming history and people can think about it more objectively. Hmm. And uh, I think if I had said in 2005, oh, I want to make a film where we sympathize with um, a, a, a Muslim man who is uh, uh, suspected of terrorism, I, you know, I, I wouldn't just have been laughed out of the office, I would have been thrown out of the office. Um, but now I think that people are, you know, more open-minded. And I think people realize that there were a lot of miscarriages of justice uh, that happened because of the rush to judgment and the kind of fear that America felt at that time. And I think it's one of the interesting things when you talk to Mohamedou, the subject of the film, he talks a lot about how everyone was acting from fear. You know, even his torturers, he explains what they did because he said they were frightened. They were frightened people who thought that I was a monster. They thought I was Hannibal Lecter. And uh, they were told, you know, I might bite their face off if they got near to me. And they were scared of me. And they were scared of Islam. They didn't understand anything about Islam. And they were convinced that because they couldn't find anything about me, any evidence of me, that must mean I, I'm not innocent. It must mean I'm a mastermind. I'm a genius because I can hide it from them. And right. so this psychology of fear that has obviously disappeared in the in the years in the years since. And my goal in this movie was to, you know, it's I guess it's still controversial, but is to lead you in and you feel like this is a thriller. And I hope it plays like a thriller, but then you slowly realize, oh, I'm growing to really like this guy. Mm -hmm. And he's charming. He's he's intelligent. He oh, am I being tricked? Is he you know, is this the real him or not? So much of that is Tahar's performance as well, too, though. Yes, he's an amazing he guy. Makes him very likable. Uh, you, you, okay, so you brought up Hannibal Lecter. I have to go back to this then. There is that, <laughs> their first scene together, you know, where he is manacled. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it's hard not to see Jody and just think about that interplay. Did, did you address that at all on the set or was it a, a point of reference at all? Of course, of course it was. You know, you can't make a film with Jodie Foster walking into a prison without thinking of that scene. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were all aware of it. And I guess I, I thought I play with that iconography, you know, and that people will be feeling that and thinking that. And that's helpful to the story, actually. That, that uh, as Jody is walking in, you're going through all these gates and there's all these kind of, you know, stern looking guards and um, you're thinking, oh, I wonder, shit, I've seen her walk into, oh my God, she's done this before. And I know who was on the other end of that. And actually that, that's, yeah, as I say, it plays into what we're trying to do in the, in the movie at that, at that time. And I think also at a deeper level, Jody. You know, she doesn't act much these days because she doesn't get many things that she that she likes and she feels, you know, she's mostly been concentrating on, on directing. And I was always wondering why she said yes to this. You know, out of the blue, I sent it to her. I, I was sure she was going to say no because she doesn't really do much anymore. Mm -hmm. And three days later, she calls me up and says, I, this is really interesting. Uh, let's talk about it. And um, 
uh, I think maybe sh- that there's a, something in common between Clarice in, 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 in Sounds of the Lambs and this character in that they're both, you know, on the surface, these kind of tough, brittle women. But underneath, you can see, you can sense that they're kind of broken. Mm. That there's something broken inside them. And I think... That whatever for whatever reason Jody sees that in a character, says, I I can play that and I can do that better than anyone else. And so I think she saw that and she thought this is a kind of this is like a a a a, a more a mature version of Clary Starling in a kind of slightly you know playing a lawyer, not quite so action packed. But right. I think there's a I think there's an emotional similarity. When you get uh, Jody now uh, as an actor, do, are you also able to tap into Jody the director and and almost get some insights? <laughs> well, you know, I was you know like any like any director who's working with an actor who also happens to be a director. You know, I did it once with Ben Affleck, who's a great director, and I worked with him as an actor. You know, you're a little bit intimidated because you think, oh my god, they actually know how to direct this better than I do. <laughs> what are they going to say? And uh, <laughs> and so I have to say, in both Ben's case and in Jody's case, that was really not the case. They were able to switch off that side of their brain. And Jody was the most present and responsive actor you could possibly imagine. She would never um, argue about the coverage, argue about the, the intention of the scene. She would have an opinion. We would discuss it. She would say, yeah, I'll do that. If I gave her a note, she would say, yeah, I'll do that. And I think that's partly because as, an, as a director, she's probably been with actors who do want to argue about every little point, And she knows that that's not necessarily productive. Mm-hmm. But having said that, so on the set, she's like a dream, a dream kind of responsive actor. She, off the set, before we started shooting, we did a little bit of, you know, read through and I wouldn't say rehearsal, but semi-rehearsal. And she was so sharp about the script and so sharp about the lines and about saying, I don't need that. I don't need that. Cut that. And it was all about losing stuff. We said, I, don't, I, can, I can say who this person is. I can tell the audience who this character is. I don't need all this backstory. I don't need all these lines. They're going to know. They're going to know. And so she's great confidence in her ability to communicate who the character is with a, with a minimal amount of interference. And there was one instance where you know, I disagreed with her. And it was the scene where she goes to visit, without giving too much away, she goes to visit um, Mohamedou towards the end of the film. Mm. And it's a kind of a moving, an emotional scene between the two of them. And there was a lot of rather nice dialogue at the front of that scene. And I said to her, you know, this is great. Oh, I love this dance. You don't need it. Take it out. Wow. And I said, no, 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 I loved it. This is like, what are you talking about? And we, it was the only time we just disagreed really about anything. And then we shot it and I was, I was like, you know, oh, it's great. I love this. I got into the cutting room. And of course, the first thing the editor says to me is, you know what? We don't need any of this dialogue at the front, actually. We should take all of that. And we lost it all. And she was totally right. Right. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. That's 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean this in the nicest way. Uh, I did not expect that accent coming out of Mr. Cumberbatch. Uh, you see him <laughs> and you expect it. Uh, you expect something and you get something totally different. Uh, please yeah. tell me that he arrived at that immediately or did it take a while to find it? Well, you know, he, um, he was, he was, he's a producer on this film 
And originally he wasn't going to be in it. Uh, he was just, he was just a, a producer. He had read the book. He was interested. His company had bought it. And uh, then as the script developed and he started, you know, he read a draft and he was like, oh, wow, this is a really interesting role, this sort of huge dilemma this guy's got to grapple with. And um, I was sort of about to go out to American Actress with it. And he called me up and said, you know what? What do, what do you feel about me doing it? And I was like, well, of course, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be incredible. But, um, you know, how do you feel about playing a Southern American? And, you know, I think the couch is from South Carolina. Right. And it's a very specific accent. And he was like, no, no, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. So, so he met with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Couch. And um, uh, they recorded their conversation, which I've heard, which is very amusing. And uh, Benedict, with the real character's help, uh, did this accent, which I think is very surprising even to Americans because it's quite a regional specific thing. It's not like he's just doing generic Southern. He's doing something that's quite special. Well, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. Oh, so, okay. So you know. So when yeah. I heard it, I, it was very much like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Stuart Couch, the, the, the real character, he's very, he, he, he's very pleased with, uh, with, with the authenticity of it. And in fact, he was like so thrilled that Benedict was doing the film. He suddenly became from this like quite serious uh, kind of legal mind, he became this sort of fanboy because he, uh, he said to me, oh, my God, Sherlock is my favorite TV show ever. I can't believe I've been played by Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I want to get to the, the physical uh, environment of Guantanamo uh, and, and constructing it. Uh, how do you even go about starting there? And, and there's a line in the movie that really struck me, which was that, you know, someday, almost like in an Alcatraz kind of way, this is going to become a tourist attraction. Um, yes. Do you believe that? <laughs> and and how did you go about creating? I do believe the... that. Yeah, I do believe that that's the case. Is that you know one day that will be it's so infamous Guantanamo that it will become you know that's America for you. You turn everything into into dollars and cents eventually. <laughs> and uh, so people like, like with Alcatraz, it's like it's Alcatraz but in the sun with daiquiris. I mean, come on. So um, it's so true. It's I, I feel, I feel horrible. But, it, you know, um, it was very hard to find out really what the interior of Guantanamo is like because you're, there, are no, there are no authorized pictures of it. Mm -hmm. Guantanamo, from when it was opened in 2001 until today, has developed a huge amount and changed. And so there are some photos online. If you look, you find photographs, but most of them are from the last sort of five, 10 years and when there were like proper buildings and things. And then there obviously there were photographs of the very first days when the prisoners were kept in these kind of outdoor cages, but that only lasted for a few months. So Muhammadu, the real Muhammadu, said to me, you know, the most important thing to me is that you actually get the feel of the place right. Because the American government spent millions of dollars keeping this secret, not wanting people to know what it was like to be in there, what what what, what you know, what the prisoners went through inside there. So try and get that right. And he was the resource really for telling us, you know, this is the color of the walls in my cell. This is how big it was. He could measure everything using his body because so he, when I went to visit him in Mauritania, he would lie down and say, okay, so the length of this cell was exactly my body height. So I'd measure it. And then he'd say, measure of this one, you know, was like 
one in a bit, about one in a head, and the toilet was here because I couldn't pray without putting my head in the toilet. And he would he would describe everything. He even knew, you know, there was like a grill up in his cell. And because, you know, he's got this incredible mind, he wants to keep busy the whole time, he actually had counted every hole in the grill. Oh, man. So he could tell us that there were 4,625 4, or whatever holes in that thing. So we could get exactly the right grill stuff that had that pattern in it like that. So that became very important. And, you know, when it comes to um, the kind of mistreatment that he suffered there, you know, there's a sequence in the film where you see guards wearing these kind of hideous, surreal masks. And a lot of people have said to me, oh, that, that isn't true. And um, I said, no, well, it's not entirely true because in reality, the masks that they wore were Star Wars masks. They wore the masks of Star Wars characters. And uh, so there was, a, there was a Yoda and there was an Obi-Wan and there was a, a, there was a Luke Skywalker. And, what, and in his book, Muhammadu talks, that's one of the sort of both funniest but also most upsetting parts of the book. He talks about how he's lying on the floor of his cell waiting for the guards to come in and mistreat him. And he hears them outside arguing about who's going to be Luke Skywalker today. Oh, gosh. So obviously we couldn't use we couldn't use Star Wars masks. I don't think Lucasfilm were going to allow that. But <laughs> uh, so we had to create our own masks, um, and that and that's what it is. So pretty much everything that happens in Guantanamo in the film is is true, and uh, where we we left our kind of dramatization to the stuff that happened outside. You know, with with Jody's character and Benedict's character, which is you know dramatized and shortened and whatever the usual things that happen in movies well you even scaled back i would assume the amount of detail that's in the book you know like you could oh yeah for sure for sure yeah i mean the book the thing is it's a very hard thing when you make a movie about something that happened over 14 years Mm. and you've got two hours to tell the story um and you know it was important to me that we have that we make a movie that was entertaining. It was important to Mohamedou. You know, he said to me, I don't want you to make one of those art house European movies. This has to be a kind of entertaining Hollywood movie. Otherwise, nobody's going to watch it. I mean, he's like, he's like, you know, he's the guy who will always tell you, you know, no, no, d- go more because that's going to make people enjoy it more. Um, but he, he. Um, Did he want a celebrity so- playing him? <laughs> like a, like a full-blown well, celebrity was you know that you know he he um uh, uh he as i said watched pretty much every movie that came out between like 2001 and 2016 when he was released you know the guards was given the dvds and everything uh so he didn't know jody's work from prior to that so when he met jody he was like um uh, Jody, I love your work in Maverick. That was the movie he had seen. <laughs> and she's great in it too. <laughs> she's great in it. She's great in it. But let's face it, it's not her finest. It's not any finest hour. But it's kind of like, it just was very funny. He's, so he has this encyclopedic knowledge of American film, but not the sounds of the lambs or the accused or Bugsy Malone or Taxi Driver. Right, right, right. Later than that. <laughs> the Mel Gibson movie. That's really funny. Um, I, all right. I, before we run out of time, I want you to be able to speak to uh, the visual aesthetic decision to sort of go a handheld cinema verite when you do the um, the torture scenes and to really immerse the audience uh, into almost feeling the way that he felt. It's, it felt like a very conscious choice and, and, and uh, yes. was unnerving. My, my feeling was that there have been films 
which have featured, you know, torture from this period, most notably Zero Dark Thirty, the report from last year. But they're they're very, very different in their approach because they're from the point of view of American characters and the bodies of the people, the brown people who are mistreated are kind of objects and they are, um, uh, we never go inside their heads. Mm. In this film, I, I wanted you to be with Mohamedou. You fall in love with him, I hope, by the time this happens. And so you're inside his head, you're in his place, in his shoes, feeling what he's feeling. And so I wanted it to be really subjective. I didn't want it to be so horrible that you couldn't watch it. So I thought if we make it surreal, if we make it really subjective, then we have license to go into these kind of dream fantasies where, you know, instead of being with him, you know, how many times do you want to see someone being hit? Not very many sure. before you get up and switch it off. And so I wanted to depict the kind of the process that's going on inside his head. And also, by the way, you know, it's basically a, a, a kind of legal thriller, this. So there's a lot of talking like there is in most legal dramas. And, but here we have a moment, 15 minutes in the film, where there's basically no dialogue. And it becomes this totally cinematic uh, combination of visuals, quite surreal visuals and, uh, and sound, and takes you into a kind of different space. It's, you know, there are movies when, they're, when it's all about talking, you're in, you're, you're in your, your head, you know, when, it's, when it's, you're in your brain, your frontal brain. But when, but when it becomes about the visuals and the sound, you're hopefully in a, in a more kind of uh, deep, emotional, visceral kind of place. Um, and that's where I wanted to put the audience for that scene. And to that end, too, just talk about Tahar's performance uh, and what he was able to bring to those roles. And, and how often did you make him go through stuff like that? And, and did you try to do them all in one shot, you know, to almost to, yeah. to get it, get him past it? Because it's really difficult, I would imagine, for him to be in that headspace. Yeah, I mean, he he's incredible. I, I met him 10 years ago. I did a film called The Eagle with Channing Tatum, where bizarrely, this was the first English language film that Tahar Rahim did. He just he just appeared in. A Prophet, which I'm sure you know is an in in you know, incredible French gangster movie, effectively, mm-hmm. set in a prison. And uh, he came to Scotland where I was making this film with Channing and he played a Gaelic prince. Uh, and all his dialogue was in Gaelic, which is like the ancient language of Scotland, because he didn't speak any English, so he might as well speak in Gaelic, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but in the last 10 years, he's learned English, and his English is really incredible now. And I think, you know, he could really have a career now in the U.S. because it's, you know, he's so, uh, so brilliant at the language and acting in it. Um, but, you know, when he showed up, he was deter- he t- talked to a lot, a lot to the real Mohamedou, and he said to me, I... You know, obviously I can't go through what he went through, but I want to go through a little bit of it. So I want you to leave me when I'm not shooting in a cell with the air conditioning turned down to almost zero, so I'm freezing cold. He didn't eat hardly more than like 800 calories a day for the entire month of his section of the film. Oh my God. At the end of it, when we got to the torture sequences, he was, you know, really weak. He lost a lot of weight. He was really suffering. And then on top of that, he insisted on wearing the real shackles. And if you, I don't know if you've ever had the displeasure of wearing shackles, but, you know, we had rubber ones like you do on a film, the kind of like, you know, to harp on the rubber ones. And he'd go, no, 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 this is wrong. I know it doesn't feel right. I want to experience just a little bit of what Muhammad experienced. So we put the real metal shackles on. He would walk, he would be moved around, whatever. And he would start bleeding on his 
on his ankles because you do. And there would be blood running down his legs. And I'd be going, we need to stop. We need to to put on the rubber ones. And he'd go, no, no, I'm not. And uh, so he really put his all into this because for him, you know, he's a great French Arabic actor for those who don't know him. And he, after a profit, which was Oscar nominated or Oscar winning, I can't remember. um, He, you know, he got offered a lot of American roles playing Muslim terrorists. And he would say, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And finally here he was playing that character, but he's playing a really richly human version of that character. And he, um, he really wanted it to be something special. He really wanted to, to the audience to see his humanity, I suppose. And that ultimately is what he achieved. You know, the guys, he's, he's a charming actor. He's a charming human being. And Jody and Shailene Woodley, who we haven't even talked about, Shailene Woodley, who's, who's, who's such a warm and lovely presence in the film. But she and Shailene and Jody were so struck by Tahar. They loved watching him because, you know, he would, every take he's one of those actors, he does a different thing. He'll do something completely different. And um, they were just like, wow, this is, this is like what, having your own private theater show in front of you. <laughs> they were just Oh, I forgot to say my lines. I'm so busy watching Tahar. Um, yeah. Good problem to have. It's a very good problem yeah. to have when you're on set. Well, yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I can't wait to drive people to the Mauritanian and um, continued success with the film. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. No problem. Take care now. Thank you very much to SDX Films for giving us time with Kevin McDonald. Make sure you guys check out The Mauritanian, starring Jodie Foster, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Shailene Woodley, uh, which is coming to theaters on Friday or February 12th, whenever you guys listen to this. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. The weekly poll this week, I asked everybody what the biggest Golden Globes shock was and i'm not going to play the bit of which one win because we have so much to get to in terms of the nominations i put down uh no spike or delroy i put down hamilton for best picture not jake but the musical uh i put down james corden who got a nomination for the prom and then i put something else the winner was no spike lee and no delroy lindo uh, getting nominated by the golden globes james corden got second uh spike and delroy got 39.8 james corden got 30 Hamilton for Best Picture got 17%, and then something else got 12.5%. Basically, what I mean to say is that there's a lot of reaction to the to the Golden Globe nomination. So let's start there. Um, it felt like the Golden Globes were in in a year that's going to be a little bit strange, regardless, because of the number of films that are up and what types of things are being nominated. 
And the globes, I think, are pretty silly anyway, um, for the way that they sort of divide into drama and comedy musical. Um, but at the same time, they do still shine a light on films that probably need it. Like I saw Emerald Fennell get really excited that she got a directing nomination and she deserves it. I recently just caught up with a film called I Care A Lot, starring Rosamund Pike, and she got a nomination for it, which when you saw it, you were probably like, what the hell? I've never even heard of this movie. Why did she get a nomination? She's phenomenal in it. So I'm really glad that she did. But what were your guys' reactions to the Golden Globe nominations? Did anything stand out as as being a bellwether that we can point to as saying, like, okay, they're starting to establish their their place here in the it, field? It was the first day I heard that Kate Hudson had a movie called Music. Yeah. What the hell is that movie? Yeah. I, that has multiple nominations. That got a Best Picture nomination, didn't it? No. In music comedy. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. Did it? Yeah. I believe Music is there. Next to Hamilton which is also not not a movie right like, so is ha- <laughs> but hamilton can't compete in the oscars right no nor well, should it be the, able for, to compete in the for in the sag globes. it's going for best tv made for movie but for golden globes it's going for motion picture this season is bizarre i don't understand it you know what would have fixed it if we just kept the timeline that's neither here nor there let's not get into that debate oh it's here how, how it's here. did this film music get into any type of consideration nobody they knows probably what it is sent the members of the hollywood foreign press association the nicest watches God, are you guys that's... familiar at all with it and kind no. of some of the controversy around it literally nothing so it's it's directed by sia you guys yeah. know who sia is mm-hmm. chandelier okay so so sia sia's directed a lot of her own um music videos and i've seen her uh, live she, by the way and she's one of the most incredible like live she's musicians. fantastic yeah she's fantastic and i really do like her um her music videos um, she does a lot of sort of like contemporary dance and stuff. I haven't seen music, but it kind of just looks like a series of Sia music videos. Um, where did, it, I apparently where have did like it screen, Gabe? Did it play anywhere? Uh, I think it played at a festival last fall or something like that. But um, there was controversy around it, though. I remember reading that. But yeah, but but there's controversy around some of the imagery she uses um, uh, with showing uh, autistic children okay. and the way that they're treated and things like that. Um, and so it's getting a, like a lot of backlash on top of the fact that apparently the people who have seen it didn't like it either. I thought it was um, in like the 30% range on Rotten Tomatoes, like 30%. I, I, can, I can look, I can look. But and, those, and those, that the, the 30% that loved it, Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Yes, they are. <laughs> I guess they would be. Um, yeah, so I can't comment on it because I know nothing about it, but let's go over. Yeah. Here are the five films that got motion picture drama at the Golden Globes. The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. No major surprises there, I don't suppose. I gotta say, but all of the the love that Mank received, both from the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice, is it, is it just because people generally like it and it's it's worthy of a lot of, especially the technical nominations? Right. Or are we now looking at, because I feel like Mank for a while kind of fell off the radar, mm-hmm. but now all of a sudden like 12 Critics' Choice nominations and leading Golden Globes. Like, are we now talking about Mank as a serious contender or is it just because it's such a technical marvel that like it's leading a lot of those nominations? Kev, you liked it the most. Where do you say Oh, I from? loved it. This makes me really but, happy. But, but, but do you think that it's like really, do you think it's like back in the race now? No, but I agree. Like it, like it fell off out of, out of nowhere. But I do think it was one. It was hands down one of the best movies of last year. And I'm like blown away that it wasn't. Um, it didn't have traction until now. So like the uh, it, honestly, when I when I saw that news that it got all the nominations, I'm like, finally, that's how I. Reacted. I think this helps. 
I think this, you know, anytime that it gets listed by these groups, it helps. Um, sure. It could turn around and get three Oscar nominations. <laughs> I'd be surprised. You know, yeah. I think it's going to get a lot of them. Um, well, because you know it's going to get what, like, like five of the big ones. You know it's going to get picture, director, actor, supporting actress, and screenplay. And then it'll probably get cinematography, production design, costume. Wait, wait, wait. Which ones did you not? Which one did you say? You said picture, I think it'll, director. It'll get picture. I think Fincher will get nominated for director. Okay. I, I think Oldman gets actor. Oldman. Amanda. Um, I th- I think Amanda for supporting. They're pushing her so hard. Yeah. And then then screenplay. I think they they, uh, posthumously honor David's dad. Okay. The only one I'd argue with there is director because the director field is yeah. so stacked. And also and actor is also actor is pretty stacked too. But but Oldman's been getting nominated everywhere. Like honestly, I didn't really think Oldman was in the in the race until he started picking up SAG and Golden Globes and and Critics Choice. He was one of eighty four people nominated for Best Actor at the Critics Choice. It's interesting because as someone who didn't love Mank, um, I think Oldman deserves a nomination for his performance. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great, and I can yeah. see Mank getting into the picture field especially if they go with eight or nine different titles but i could see director splitting and going with places like regina king chloe zhao spike lee you know a lot of those five slots are going to get eaten up yeah pretty quickly depending on what else gets in there um let's go to the musical comedy category for golden globes before i have a critic choice hot take though i am I am fascinated by the trial of the Chicago Seven and all the awards. I just but don't... see you're, you're you're talking to a couple of guys that love that movie, man. I know, but I, I loved Mank, so we're on the opposite side. Sure, so I, I think. But but, I, but I'm not uh, mad about Mank getting nominated, though. I'm not mad about Chicago Seven being nominated. I just don't think it's the movie that that's. I don't think it's the 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 great movie that it's being set up to be in the in the awards. Uh, uh, time period i i but feel like, like it, i think it, it's, it's perfectly pleasant for everybody though like like it's not it's oh. it's you know because they often say it's it's important that a, let a lot of people at least like the movie and i think it's the kind of movie that a lot of people at least generally like but i would argue that the five bloods is worlds beyond not it's not even in the same ballpark of the filmmaking level that has happened in both of those films and the fact that the five bloods got into drama and trial the I'm sorry didn't get into drama and trial of yeah. Chicago Seven did is astounding to me and I and I, and I think that trial of the Chicago Seven has become some type of awards darling where and again I'm not taking anything away from the film it was it was good fine it was very very um, I thought it was very over the top in certain uh, aspects I didn't think it was as well directed I thought it was extremely well written um, but I did not think it I think a better and director acted. would have nailed that movie but yeah the acting's great as well but I don't think the movie is anywhere near the caliber of what it's appearing to be in the award mm-hmm. season I think The Five Bloods it, it destroys it so that was one of the biggest surprises I could not believe that but then I was like you know what it's the Globes, so and so, <laughs> it's the, and that's the thing. It's like, the it's the Globes. Here's why I like it, because the beauty of the award season narrative works like this: when a major player gets snubbed, they then become the underdog mm-hmm. hero. They call story. that the Ben Affleck, right? The Affleck <laughs> of Argo. So they call that the Affleck. I'm he was hoping, the bomb in Phantoms. I'm hoping that Delroy and Five Bloods get a swing from the snub at the Globes, and I think that's what's going to happen. So in my opinion, it's actually, hey, it didn't peak too soon, thankfully. So let's let, let's let Trial 7 peak, and then 
Five yep. Bloods will step in. That's, oh, that's I, the I have a question for you guys. And and just kind of as a companion piece to Chicago 7, why is Judas and the Black Messiah not connecting with people? Because, like, is, and I say that, like, you could argue that that's sort of the better, like, version of that story. Well, I'll even throw in Malcolm and Marie is not, like, I think people thought that those two would be contenders in mm-hmm. performance categories, and it's not connecting anywhere. Yeah. Well, could I Daniel think, win? Oh, Daniel oh. Kaluuya's. No, no, the the Oscars are over. All right, so Chadwick Boseman's winning actor. I mean, more, more, more I don't know. I know you do this every year. Chadwick deserves it, and he's gonna win okay. it. Um, nah. I think Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is one of the greatest performances in the history of acting. I think. I think he's gonna win, no question. It has nothing to do with his passing. It is a, a genuinely brilliant performance. I don't. Um, I also, don't Ma Rainey, care for that performance the way you do. Oh, I think. Yeah, I, I just think. Don't. I think he destroyed. I, mean, I, I think he's fantastic in the film, but I. Yeah. I would not put it. I, I wouldn't even put him as like a odds-on favorite. Here's what's gonna happen. I guarantee. You, mark my words. Chadwick, you say uh, that you do this every year. Mark my words right now. Mark my words right now. Mark my words. Chadwick, uh, uh, actor. Yeah. Kaluuya, supporting actor. They're gonna, I hope they don't do this, but they're going to do it. McDormand for actress. And supporting actress? I don't know yet. I got to look at that list. Maria. Is she going oh, supporting actress? That'd be amazing. Uh, dude, that I'm telling you, she's winning. I, I think she's one of the surest bets coming out of these what? early nominations. Oh, that, would be, uh, that would be fantastic. She's getting nominated everywhere, and she deserves That's it. That's true. Maria and and that, so, talking about narrative, because so, you're right, Kevin, so much of the award season is about the narrative. It's about the story beyond, you know. Um, and I, I, I think the narrative of, of her in Borat. Yes. Because remember, like, what was it, three or four months ago, I was, I, I, will, I will admit it, I didn't think she was going to get nominated. I didn't think, I thought that, that that buzz would be down. But now it seems like t- it's back on the upswing. I was wrong, and I'm happy to be wrong. It's I think Chicago one. Seven want—they're trying to make it the movie we want it to be in the award season. And I, it's not. I, I love Chicago. Do 7. you think it's the I, front runner right now? Because I don't think it's the front runner. It's not a front no, runner. No, I think it's the front runner. But it's but but it's like I, don't know. It, I, it's, I think Nomadland is the front runner. Which I have no idea why. I don't understand the Nomadland love personally. <laughs> I do not understand that. That I mean, I like the film again. Yeah, I, I agree. I with mean, you. And to clarify, you know, something like Trial Seven, I gave a four out of five. So you're, t- you're talking about someone who gave it like a B. You know, I, I sure. like I like these movies, and I, same with Judas and the Black Messiah. I, I think these are good films, but I don't. I, I can see why Judas and the Black Messiah is not like an Oscar frontrunner for picture. Wait, if it is, I don't know. Let me say. Let me say this, because I honestly don't know if I love any of these movies that are competing. This year. I, I'm not crazy about this award season period. Like, like remember last year, I was so jacked about the possibility of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood maybe winning. Right, and then like Parasite was thrown in there, which was super exciting, and that was that was fun to watch. That like, there's there's this year kind of whatever happens, I you think, know, like whatever happens happens. I think the majority of these titles that are in this conversation, no matter which one you want to sort of pony forward, I think they're all good films. Yeah. But I don't have an old, I don't have a, a passionate yeah. to me to me I would have maybe gotten behind the idea of soul breaking through you know and becoming a historical sort of sure if it had the momentum that wasn't gonna happen dude that wasn't gonna happen I know I know and I you know held out hope that yeah. the that the academy would would view it in a different way and they still may I mean maybe it gets into the best picture race I think I think yes that's, uh, well. well let me read the hold on I want to read the the um, comedy musical numbers because i think it proves a point sort of jake answering what you were saying before um the five movies at the globes that got musical or comedy and then we'll switch to critic choice is uh borat subsequent movie film hamilton music 
Palm Springs and The Prom. And all of those movies, the thing that they have in common, besides music, which none of us know, is that they were out for a long time. And sure. people at least got used to them, got to see them a couple of times. Um, uh, when we're talking about One Night in Miami, when we're talking about Judas and the Black Messiah, when we're talking about Malcolm and Marie, these films that... Uh, even Cherry, Cherry isn't showing up anywhere, and people thought that they sort of pushed because that, they pushed won't it back. give a screen. Like I, I love that I got a four-year consideration hoopla box of crap yeah. about Cherry, but couldn't get a screener to see without, it without the disc in it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so, like, like, and, and then asked for a link and like, oh, we'll get back to you. And it's like it's hard to consider a, a movie if you can't see it. A lot of these movies that came out January, February, just they. There's too much ground for them to make up. Then what was like. the point of of moving the whole schedule well, if it doesn't benefit any movie that comes out in that window? But that's hindsight. Like, we didn't know. No one knew. When they moved the dates, no one knew what the industry was going to be like. I seem to remember bitching when they moved the dates. Uh, you like to I complain. seem to remember saying this isn't going to go well. You like to complain about a lot of things, though. That's true, and occasionally I'm right. Occasionally you're right. All right, let's switch over to uh, Critics' Choice, a group, again, that we are members of, so we uh, have some skin in this game. We picked these nominations, and the Critics' Choice, as they are wont to do, went with 10 nominations uh, in Best Picture. nominate Tenet. I'm assuming all three of us put that in our... our oh, yeah. I did. I was really I was really hoping if a couple... Of, you didn't? No, I did. Yeah, uh, I, did. I was really hoping that, like, if a couple of... Like, I, I figured the three of us would... I thought maybe a few other people would. I thought it might squeak in there. Well, I basically just turn in my top 10, you know, for the year. Yeah, same, same. Um, I don't make any real tweaks because of awards consideration. Those are the 10 best films that I saw. So 10 sure. was on there. So they have uh, Defy Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank Minari, News of the World, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, Wait, you don't, you don't play the game a little bit when nominating? Not like, in, like in the act, in the acting categories, like well, like yeah. If there's if, yeah, like like we're you know let's let's say you know like you know Frances McDormand is going to get nominated, so maybe right. you don't even if you do love her, maybe you don't put her on your list and you put someone else that maybe doesn't See, have, have do as much that. of a chance. See, I play the game. I do I that. I don't, I don't do give that. other people a chance. I, I, I put that. genuinely what I think deserves it, even if it's like a front runner, even if it's someone that you know is going to get nominated, hundred percent. Because I because to <sighs> me, I'm making a list of what I think deserves to be nominated. Not I'm mm -hmm. not, like I don't. I I don't get into the game with it because I feel like the game is not for me at least it's not the right way for to also do it. what if they don't get nominated by one vote because yep. you decided oh they're a front runner they're not that you're wrong get Jake. I just don't no, I don't no I, I, get, I get your point yeah. I get your point I, I will tell you that I haven't had that happen to me yet but like you know in a situation where especially because we nominate 84 different people per category but you know for me it's more of a especially like those those you know the the Paul Racy's of mm. of of the world where like he's so good in sound of metal mm. and i really want him to sort of you know and so maybe you don't put a, a person on the list has been nominated for every other maybe you put paul racy number one even though maybe he wasn't actually your number one but you put him just to kind of give him a shot get him put him in the game a little bit well he got in jake so your he, game worked paul racy everybody in. got in sean <laughs> everybody got in all right of those 10 does anything strike you as doesn't belong there I think that's a pretty. I think it's an okay list. I think it, I think those ten are all again. Like it's it's a yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, tenant needs okay. to be in. Yeah, I want it's, it's, it's a list of movies that you sort of go like, okay, these are good. All right, uh, uh, here are your those eight, are those are in fact films. Those are films. Here are your eight actors. Get ready. Uh, the rest actors. of the show is going to be taken Jesus up by Christ. me reading this list. Ben Affleck for The Way Back, Riz Ahmed for Soul uh, Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Tom Hanks, News of the World, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, 
Delroy Lindo to Five Bloods, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yen for Minari. I'll do Actress really fast, too, while we're here. Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. Uh, Sydney Flanagan for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Very happy to see that there. She gave a tremendous performance. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Frances McDormand, Nomadland. Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. And Zendaya. Zendaya? Zendaya. Zendaya. Gets Jesus, in for man. Malcolm and Marie. Uh, you missed so- like six of those names. I, just, I was keeping it tally. <laughs> no, I didn't. No. That's not true. Uh, so, again... They're great nominees. I'm not overly passionate about any of them. Literally, the the one now that I care the most about is Maria Bakalova getting an, a win for Borat. Because not only do I think that she deserves it, but it will address one of these conversations that we've had on the show numerous times about comedy uh, and the fact that it doesn't get the awards consideration that it deserves. And her performance in that film truly is... Uh, amazing she's fantastic and so Kevin um, can you talk about the conversation you had with the person we talked to yesterday about comic because I, I, I'm so glad that you, you had that conversation in your interview can we talk about that oh I don't I don't know how how do we do that with embargoes like well, if we don't, if we don't my, show the video I think if you I think if you just say this happened uh I'm gonna hold no, okay. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot yeah, yeah only because I don't know I don't want to get in trouble Okay. All right. So let's look ahead at a very um, early moment and try to do in the top uh, Oscar categories, people who we think are guaranteed to get into these categories. Uh, Nominees who we think have just so much heat that there's no way getting around them. Let's go right to director. We're a director driven podcast, obviously. Uh, Kevin, give me two people who you guarantee are going to get best director, best director nominations when the Oscars announce. Oh, no question. So, uh, Real Blend guest, Emerald Fennell. Okay. No question. Um, and Spike Lee. And okay. I know that sounds counterintuitive considering Spike didn't get... Is that counterintuitive the right word? Spike didn't get a um, Best Golden Director Globe. nomination for the Globes. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said earlier, I think there's that, there's that swing that you get back if, you, if you're like left out of another award show. Not only does... That's not the reason he's going to get in. He deserves to be in there because Spike Lee directed the heck out of that movie. I don't know if you guys saw the conversation that him and Oliver Stone had recently, where I guess hmm. Stone had a Five Bloods pitch of his own, and he told Spike about really? it. And then, oh, re- re- look up this article after we- after we're done. Uh, people out there who are interested in reading it, but uh, Stone is very um, uh, positive on what Spike had done with the story, and he said that essentially what he did with Delroy Lindo had never been done with any actor in the history of acting. Like, just the way wow. he what the what Delroy ended up giving on screen and I think Oliver Stone was just blown away by it and I think those types of stories are like why I'm saying like yeah see Five Bloods gets snubbed here it's gonna come back around it that could be like a best picture winner right there they could go winner for Five Bloods for picture Chadwick for actor I mean I, I and Spike for director that could be a triple threat right there well now now, now heads up I want to clarify I, even though Chad's in Defy Bloods, Chad would be winning for Ma Rainey right. and Lee. He would be supporting actor for... But he'll get two nominations, right, yeah. So. Uh, Jakey, two directors. I think Chloe gets that. in for Nomadland. Yes. Um, I think that's a safe bet. And I think whether you think he should or not, I think Sorkin gets in for Chicago 7. Okay, interesting. Um, I think Chloe is also a, a bet. Um, I think Spike is also a bet. Uh, the one I'll throw out there then just as a wild card is I think Regina King has a pretty strong chance mm-hmm. of getting in. Oh, I think 100%. I think we're going to have three female directors yeah. in the best directing category this year. The question is, so 
So That's who amazing. leaves? Who leaves for Spike Lee? Fincher. Yeah, so, I'm not sure Fincher gets in. Or, okay, so, or Sorkin, or do you say? Do you take Sorkin out? Oh yeah. So okay, all right. So let, let, let's look at the definitives for not what five, you want. Yeah, not what you think. want. But like, do you, what do you think is going to happen? Sorkin's not getting in. Guarantee so, that. You don't think okay, so? so say the three are Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell, Regina King. Like those three okay. are there. Then you have two slots. Then you, uh, Spike. And, and one slot. Fincher. Okay, you say Fincher. Jake, who are your two spots considering if we have those three female directors? Now that I say Sorkin, now I'm really questioning whether... And I'm not saying Sorkin just because I, I think he deserves to be in it. I'm saying Sorkin just because he's gotten nominated for everything up to this point. Right. But I think... I mean, if you're really looking at it, Fincher deserves it more than Sorg, even though I like Chicago Seven more than Mank. For in terms of for direction, those two films. yeah. In terms of direction, I don't understand. I don't see how you give it to to Sorkin over Fincher. Also, it's okay. a Hollywood story. It's yeah. you know, it's his father wrote it. Yeah. Um, again, and, and for now, the, mo- the most now, part, they, the Academy loves Fincher. And you can see do. me now. Now I'm playing that game. Now I'm on the Oscar game here. Okay, here's ah, why. See, here's it's, why. It's all um, the game, baby. But in general, so Regina King is the only one I'm on that five that I'm a little worried about because I don't okay. did, did one night in Miami and it's funny because I love that film but I is that film getting that buzz for directing and picture that 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 we thought it would considering the cast and her directing and you know so I, I I'm just wondering Regina King I'm, I'm a concerned about because I think she belongs in there because it's a hell of a directorial debut um uh, Chloe for sure, no question mm-hmm. that's happening. Emerald, no question that's happening. I think Fincher, I love that. no question that's happening. And I think Spike yeah, is no question. Spike, no question. So, is it going to be Regina King, or is it going to be Aaron Sorkin, or is it going to be? I, I think Fincher. the yeah, no, Fincher gets in with uh, okay. with uh, yeah. So I don't know. Okay, does Regina King definitely get in? They do love actors turned directors. I agree. But is One okay. Night in Miami as good as it needs to be for Best Director? We shall see. Well, listen, we're stuck on director. Let's move on to the other categories. Um, let's get to actor. Uh, I think we could all agree that Chad's getting in. Chadwick Boseman's getting in. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think we could all agree that Gary Oldman's getting in. Mm-hmm. Any other shoe-ins that you think Hopkins. are right there? Hopkins for The Father? Hopkins. Haven't yeah. seen it yet. I haven't watched The Father yet. Uh, that, I have the, I have the screener. I keep waiting. I keep waiting on multiple uh, <laughs> interviews. I, I haven't watched it yet. And, and it's also gotta... like I I know what it, like I've seen the trailer. I know what it is. It's 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 not the kind of movie where you're like in a hey I'm in a great mood. Let's watch. You know I'm I'm sure it's going to be a tour yeah. de force of of incredible performances. I think Stephen Yen has a really good shot for Minari. I think Minari has a lot of which is interesting because he should be supporting actor. Oh, is see, it? I think he's the yes. lead of Minari. He is phenomenal. no the kid. The kid is the lead. The kid? The, kid is the, the kid is oh, the lead. Oh, no. I think the kid's story yeah. is so m- much more reliant on the father. Like, Alan Kim is amazing in the movie, and, and Jake's referring to the young boy. Um, uh, but I, I got to tell you, Stephen Yoon, is it Yoon? Or, uh, I'm, uh, I was going to say to, a note Yoon? to add to Sean's list of names. It's, I believe it's Yoon? Stephen Yoon. Yoon. Is it? Gabe, you've um, seen it. Did you see it now? I haven't seen Minari yet. No. Oh, I thought you Stephen, saw it. I've seen it twice. Let, let me tell you this. If if I'm him, I'm a little annoyed at the studio because I think he has no shot at winning Best Actor, but I think you put him in Supporting Actor category, and I think he's got a damn good shot See, at winning that Oscar. I don't think he has any shot of winning. 
I, I, yeah, I, even in the supporting actor category? I, I think I, he's very competitive in supporting actor. I think Steven Yeun's great in Minari. I do think he belongs in lead. But I, I, do, I, I do not think there's going to be a single different award given than Chadwick and Daniel. Those are the two, I think those two I, categories are locked. I think da- Daniel Kaluuya's biggest competition in supporting actor is Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. They're going to get... I see, I see I, but I think Daniel's performance is so electrifying... I mean, oh, I, oh, he does have more "quote unquote" Oscar moments, clips. Yeah, and and yeah. and Odom is phenomenal. Oddly enough, you're looking at One Night in Miami. I'm thinking more towards Eli Gorey, uh, who played Cassius Clay, um, or the uh, actor who played um, Malcolm X, uh, Ben, K- ben Kingsley, a deer. King, um, yeah, Kingsley Ben Adir. I was going to say uh, uh, sticks out for me. As I think I said Ben but, Kingsley. But I, do like, <laughs> you know, I, I always think. Um, I always think about sort of just the lazy Oscar voters and the ones that aren't willing to Google what uh, like you know a particular actor's name is. Right. And I think uh, a lot of, unfortunately, and uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I think a lot of the older lazy Oscar voters just know Leslie from Hamilton yeah. and they'll just put his name down because they're like, oh yeah, it's the guy, you know, they what won't even bother to. You're hundred percent right. But I, but, uh, but I find it, I, 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 it's that, that really bothers me only in the sense that you're right. When, when, when by the time, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sean, but real fast. No, 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 no. Um, but when we, uh, when that movie first hit and everyone was talking about it, Leslie Odom has always been on that front runner uh, um, uh, path, right? I never saw, other award consideration for Eli Gorey, uh, Ben, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> ben Kingsley Benadir, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, Aldous Hodge, Aldous Hodge. Right. So out of those four, I think Eli or Adi- uh, Kingsley Adir, uh, Benadir were the. Um, I'm botching that guy's name. I'm so sorry. You're an amazing actor if you're listening. Um, but I, I think that <laughs> he's not. Leslie it does Jr. No, it does no favors that Ben Kingsley is in his name. I know. Kingsley Ben <laughs> I can't get away from calling him Ben he, Kingsley. I, I, there's a bunch of movies I need to catch up on, but after I saw One Night in Miami, I, arguably his performance was my favorite of the So entire. good. Because he, he did a thing for me that's important. Uh, which is, it, it disappears the wrong word because a lot of people use that for like well-known. Yeah. He just he just felt so real. He just mm. felt it felt like I was watching a human being do things in yeah. front of me. I don't know yeah, how yeah, else yeah. to describe it. It yeah. was just a I was not watching a performance. I think and the best way is so hard to achieve. It's because he captured Malcolm X's spirit. Like if you yeah. like if you watch his performance closely in One Night in Miami, just look at the little things he does with his hands. Like he he'll sit he's sitting there talking to somebody and he's like taking his glasses off. He's doing like all this interesting stuff. And it's all so character driven because I think he's in it so much hmm. that I think it's just it's it's and I remember talking to Daniel Kaluuya recently for um for Judas and the Black Messiah, one of the best performances we've seen in a long time. Um and he was talking about the idea of when a character's spirit finally leaves him because mm-hmm. he was saying basically he was thankful that he's had this time during the pandemic to be kind of home and, and kind of cause, cause he didn't realize how much time he needed to let the character go. Cause it was still That's so true. weighted on him. Um, and I genuinely think the, some of these incredible actors of our time are genuinely getting to a point in their performances where they're embodying the spirit of the individual they're playing and you know they feel with, it um, leave with John David Washington. When we were asking him about Malcolm and he was like, I'm not off book anymore. Like yeah. that, that term of being like, you're so into the I dialogue. Love that expression. It's great. Yeah. And it was fun to hear him talk about that. Let me throw one last wild card before we move on to some other categories. 
Um, what if Sacha Baron Cohen gets nominated for Trial, but people want to recognize the fact that he did Borat and Trial in the same year? He deserves it for Borat over Trial. I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. but he does. No, no but I know, but what if you want to, like, in a legitimate honor, you know, like, he gave two, and he's he's great in, in Trial as, as Abby... Um, Hoffman? Abby Hoffman? Am I getting mm-hmm. that right? He was good in trial. With names I, this week. I didn't love he, his performance as much as everybody my, else did. Oh, I thought it was great. He has my favorite line in trial, which is when they throw the egg at the dude from Succession, and he catches it, and Sasha Baron Cohen says, you don't know what to do with it now, do you? I <laughs> love that line so much. You know who deserves trial love uh, like for, for performances? Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Yaya Abdul-Mateen. He does. Yep. That is a performance that needs to be talked about more. Because like, like, that's the thing yep. about trial. Like, There's like so much good in that movie i just yep. wish it all glued together better um so but yeah let's shift to actress really fast and i honestly feel like a lot of these slots are filled um when you mention francis mcdormand when you mention carrie mulligan when you mention vanessa kirby when you mention mm-hmm. viola davis i feel like those four are in like do, do you argue that mm-hmm. any of those four women are not going to get a nomination no um so I mean, but also keep in mind inevitably there's always like a big shock. So, sure. like, you know, a lot of times the question is, who's the big shock that's not going to get in? So the last slot, if you're looking at critics choice here, uh, goes down to Zendaya. It goes down to um, Andra Day. So I haven't seen Billie Holiday yet. Is she does she give an award awards worthy performance? I don't think we're going to be hearing about that too much so? moving okay. forward, Kevin. Yeah, and I, and I don't know where we are in embargoes on that film, so yeah. I'm not going to dive too deep into it. But I, yeah. I agree with Jake. I do not think that. I just think the actress category is so stacked. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we can get into that film later, but I think it comes out February 26th. But Jake and I, you know, we spoke to Andrew Day yesterday. She's she is phenomenal in the film, like yeah. performance yeah. wise. So it, I, 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 it's a weird one. I don't know if she'll. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like. Through. So I think it's comparable to. Um, Unfortunately, Zendaya, who I think is very deserving of a nomination, I was kind of surprised at how, I don't, for lack of a better word, poorly received that film was over the past few days. It was, um, was a lot really of backlash on that movie. A lot of backlash, a lot more than I expected, and I think that that's going to hurt her chances. As good I really, as she is, I'm, I was kind of surprised at how, how much people were hating on that movie. I really want to get into a discussion on our show at one point, not today, about that movie because the discourse surrounding that thing was in- insane to me. Um, I was flabbergasted by how negative people were about it. And um, I just think uh, we'll get into it at some point. But I think Zendaya is incredible in that film. I think she's um, deserving of an Oscar nomination. I, I agree with you. And I think I, I, I'm telling you, I think a lot of this, especially in the five bloods, I think a lot of this is going to come back. Okay. I think I think we're going to see it. But a there doesn't way. seem to be like the uproar of oh my god, why isn't Zendaya getting love like there was for Delroy Lindo and and Spike Lee? Well, Zendaya is still dealing with criticism about like like she one of the hardest criticisms that she deals with is like people think she's too young to have done roles that are older yet. And I find that so ridiculous because she's perfectly I think she's choosing the yeah. best roles possible, but people are trying to hold on to her Disney days. And clearly they haven't seen Euphoria, so I don't know if they really yeah. kind of, you know, know that direction that she's I gotta going be honest, in. for the longest time, I didn't even know she was a Disney actor. Like, I never watched her on the Disney. I didn't Same. know she was, you know. Was she yeah. in really, Step she It kinda... Up? Is she the girl from Step It Up? Casey and Casey Undercover was her big one. Casey Undercover? Okay, because there was another one. There's there's the redheaded girl who now does, like, really edgy sex stuff. 
Um, and then, and she was paired with, I thought Zendaya, Gabe, can you look up Zendaya and see if she was in Step It Up? This was a show that was huge when my boys were Gabe, up. for the love of God, do not Google really sexy, <laughs> <laughs> like, just... really sexy redheads. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were Jesus. two, there was two girls who were on a show that the boys watched growing up called Step It Up. I swear to God, that's what it was called. Isn't and that a I dancing movie? Zendaya is one of them. Uh, that might've just been Step Up. Shake it up, I think is what you're Shake of. it up. That's what it was. Okay. She played Rocky Blue in Shake It Up from that was in 2010 Daya? to 2015. Oh wow! So you were you yeah. were you were you were spot on, except for the time. Sean has seen all seventy five yeah, episodes. Who's the redhead girl? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, you know her name. I, I really want to drive home that Sean has children and he's not just a forty something year old man that that has an encyclopedic <laughs> oh, knowledge Bella, of teenage Bella Disney Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne is yeah, she's famous now. She is famous now. I had no for idea. Doing, this like, is the first time I've heard of this show. Only fan stuff, and she directs adult videos. Sometimes wow. these Disney kids branch out. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, that was a huge show when my boys were growing up. They don't watch what the what the either of them are doing right now anymore. Okay, right now, if I asked you guys on February the tenth, what film wins? Best picture wins. Best picture, Jake. You were saying, Nomadland. Kevin, you were saying at the end, Five Bloods. Uh, I'm not entirely sure it's Nomadland, but I do not think it's going to be Five Bloods. I think it's Mank. That's what I was really. Gonna say. See, I think Mank's too. Mank would be. You think, too... Mank, you think Netflix gets its first? But Mank, Mank wow. is Mank is too. It's too and again. I love Mank. It was my number three of the of 2020. So this is coming from somebody who's obsessed with that movie. Mank would be too like oh, there goes the Oscars again. Another okay. uh, movie about movies, and I think okay. yeah. I I think Mank is almost too obvious of the choice for them. Um, okay, then. But in a weird year, do they play it safe? Well, it's funny because if you ask me this and question, back. if you ask me this question before the Globes came out, I would not have said Five Bloods. I'm just going okay. back to that theory about why I think it's going to swing back to to the the larger picture, and I think. But if you had asked me two a couple weeks ago, prior to that, I don't know. I, I do you okay? Last question. I know we already touched on this, but actress <laughs> category. Um, yeah. Do do does Carrie Mulligan like who's the front runner? Do you think in the actress category aside I from Nick Dorman? I can't tell. I really can't tell, and I I, I really think as much oh, as they, I think Kirby. Nick Dorman they they have it going. I, th- I think her having won twice and having her won recently kind of works against her, unfortunately. I'm just okay, so does, d- does Carrie get any blowback that. from that negativity with that review? Did you did you guys keep up with that at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I thought that. that was a uh, great or, story, and I, I, I'm sorry, a great story in the sense that I'm glad she called the re- the review out because the review. Okay. Yeah, I think the I know I I think that actually is a was a good thing that she did that because she needed to because that that I mean again I haven't again I don't well, want to speak on that. Like, yeah, I'll say this much. It almost seems like she called out the reaction to the review or her opinion of the review. I think what got more heat was that Variety then backpedaled and put mm-hmm. a warning at the top yeah. of the review. So it wasn't that's not necessarily her fault. Um, I think people were more upset that Variety didn't back their critic and they should have just backed their critic yeah. and said like, hey, even if Carrie Mulligan has a problem with the review, this is still the review kind of thing. Yeah. And I think, society, I, but, but I think all the people voting for, for best actress would be on her side. Right. Probably. Probably. I also think that that whatever transpired in that review, that that's where like that type of comment leaves the 
film criticism space and enters personal space. Like you know, for uh, people that don't uh, know what we're uh, talking yeah. about, what is it? What didn't the review? Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. The review implied that she was not quote hot enough for the role. It's I don't. You could translate it that way, I suppose. If you wanted to, it's not like they came out and said like, "How does Carrie Mulligan get these guys to, to want to take her home from the bar?" I mean, but, they kind of because it, it also implied they, that like it was like, "Oh, like Margot Robbie was a was a producer right. on the film. Why didn't Margot Robbie play the part?" Oh, really? Okay, see, yeah. that's that's pretty. Yeah, so, I mean, so Carrie Mulligan, <laughs> rightfully so, spoke out against it. I think that it's. I'm glad that she did because that type. Yeah. I, again, I haven't read this whole review. I just know this the snippet we're referring to, but that type of language used in a review is a personal attack on her personally. And I just don't. I just, I just think it's like the, Carrie Mulligan's a, playing a character in the film, um, and she's embodied this character. And I, I think it's incredible what she's done with it. I, I actually think she's gorgeous in the movie. I have no idea what that person was talking about. Um, so, but either way, that's not something that you. I, I think it was smart, and I think Jake said it best. I think that will actually put people on her side. I think. Did Did she win for shame? Has she won for anything? She's never she, won. She's never she's won. nominated for an education. Oh, she, she didn't, yeah, yeah education. she didn't get nominated for shame. Then she's absolutely going to be the front runner, and she's going to win. That's it. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, Honestly, I think it's a body of work. It's a body I mean, of I wouldn't work be mad thing. about it. No, I'm not okay with her winning. Yeah, I think yeah. she. I, I think actually, if she stays the course right now. That's she deserves to win. Yeah, it's a way that's better. A, before. I mean, I love Frances McDormand. I think what she did in Nomad Land was incredibly emotional. Just the uh, film. I just don't think it connected with me on uh, on a level. I'm not saying it doesn't mean it's a good or bad thing. Carrie Mulligan was way better. Mulligan's performance is like it. It was like it reminded me of like I think they made this comparison with um, Charlize Theron in Young Adult, where it's like the shark in Jaws, like like, where, like or something like where you don't know what that character is going to do in that moment, mm-hmm. and like Carrie Mulligan like stepping slowly towards Christopher Mintz Ploss, like, you know, after he uh, tries to kiss her nose and <laughs> such an awkward scene. Um, oh but God. like the way she carried the scene, she, she had the weight of the, ah, uh, of the frame. The way it's she awesome. carried the scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> good job, Kevin. She carried so every scene in that movie, didn't so she? So good. All right, let's get to uh, this week in movies. So <laughs> there's a movie called The Fear of Rain. Fear of Rain, which is coming to VOD Limited. Anyone seen it? My, uh, Lauren did see it. Uh, it's actually directed by uh, Castile Landon, who's the new director of the new of the two after films. Oh, um, really? And it has uh, Israel Brassard, who was also in uh, Bling Ring, great uh, great movie. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that, and then the actress's name is Madison. I'm trying to remember her last name, but uh, Lauren said. Um, I mean, I, I actually saw some of it as she had it on. It's gorgeous looking. I just don't know the story to it. Okay. So I, I know uh, it deals with mental illness. I know it deals with, I believe, schizophrenia uh, in some it's in some sense. I just don't know the um, full scope of it. So Okay. Uh, that see a movie that we talked about earlier, Music, which is a Best Picture nominee, according to the Golden Globes, is going to be available on VOD. So please check it out. Uh, to All the Boys, Always and Forever, is coming to Netflix, concluding that trilogy. I don't know anything about those films. Um Kev, you, I think you watched them with Lauren, or have yeah. you watched all the boys? I've seen all three of them. I actually like the the the, the trilogy um, primarily because Lauren's really gotten me into it, and I think um, I think it has some really clever concepts in it, and it's it's an interesting uh, ode back to handwriting letters and you know things like that. But um, yeah, I mean these are these are films that have a very 
very dedicated audience. And I think They're Lana Condor. so popular. Yeah. Dude. Lana Condor and um, Noah Centineo obviously have really blown up um, because of it. Um, and uh, Yeah, so. <laughs> he changed his middle name to Netflix. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last week. I, 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 I'll never forget. It was like one of the weirdest junkets I ever did. Uh, I don't know if Jake, were you on this? It was. It was. Wait, like a, is it, it when we did both of them? Yes. It was like like two, and we could I couldn't tell the movies apart. Right. We so, did. We did yeah. two like teen teen Netflix movies, and one of them was to all the boys, the original one, mm-hmm. and the other one was a different but like also right. teen kind of Netflix film. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where they don't have you just do one movie <laughs> then the other. They kind of have you going from room to room. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Kevin, but like there was seriously a moment I was like, wait, which which of the freaking teen movies <laughs> is like what what the hell am I doing? But for him, the crazy. Craziest things that I've never oh, seen. He was in before. both of them. Yeah. So Noah Centineo is in both movies. So when you walk in to interview him on the junket, there was no poster because he was talking about two movies. Yeah, yeah. So like I remember like in the middle of the interview, looking at the timer, going, "Oh, I guess I need to switch movies now," because I'm like I'm like literally talking about to all the boys, and then I go, "Wait, I need to get to that Sierra." I can't remember the name of the film. It had, it had um, Barb from um, Stranger yeah. Things in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it was it was so strange because like you like at one point I'm like do I do so we need to change we, movies. we have to consciously yeah yeah and like there's no because they just put a Netflix poster behind them normally yeah. you get like the movie they're promoting I've never had a situation like that before it was very <laughs> awkward going back to the for for people that don't know that we made a joke there's a great tweet uh, last week. It basically was like what Netflix executive did Noah Centineo <laughs> see hit a, kid, hit a kid with their car so that he's in every Netflix film. Uh, all right. So French Exit is another film that feels like it's trying to get into the awards race and sometimes is. Michelle Pfeiffer's getting some run uh, in the actress categories, but I have not seen French Exit, nor do I necessarily even know what it's about. Have either of you guys checked it out? Yeah. No, I mean, I really want to. I mean, obviously, I love Lucas. I think Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges has become like the designated. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the designated that. son who acts with mm. the greatest actors of all time. Like his mom was Julia, Julia Roberts in yeah. uh, Ben is Ben is me. What was the name? Of ben that is back. Movie? Ben is back. Ben is back. Um, she now he's the son of. Uh, I think he's the son of Michelle Pfeiffer in the French Exit. He was um, great in Waves. He was actually very good in Waves. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I did love Waves. But Ben is back was actually directed by Lucas Hodges' father. Correct. Um, Peter Hodges. Right. And then Lucas Hodges' breakout, what, what was that? The Casey Affleck film? What, what movie was his? What was his? What was oh, Manchester of? by the Sea. Yeah. That was his breakout. Okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't seen him in this. But <laughs> hopefully yeah. we will sometime soon. Because I have screeners at the top of my pile. I just haven't been able to get to it. Because I've been watching movies like Minari. We have, have we talked about Minari on the show, Gabe? At, at any um, length? A little bit, but I don't think we've gotten into it. It's coming limited release uh, right now. It is absolutely one of the films that you need to check out if you want to be up to speed with everything that's happening in the Oscar race. Just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, heartfelt uh, authentic story of a family moving to the United States and trying to establish themselves uh, with a struggling farm, essentially, and and giving up everything that they have and sort of being questioned from within. Uh, the husband's questioned by the mom quite often. They lure the grandmother over so that she can help with some of their uh, childcare needs. And it's just about how they assimilate to living in the United States and, and, and sort of commenting on the American dream. Unfurls at the perfect pace, I thought. I was really into the story of the family. thought it was beautifully shot. Um, it was very, very touching. Had some some surprises to it as well. 
uh, too, but it's it's just not, it's not a big swing movie at all. It's just um, this is a snapshot of a family that's trying to make it at this particular time, and I was uh, deeply touched by a number of the performances. Where are you guys on? Uh, where are you guys at with Minari? I loved it. I was. Yeah. It just it just captured such an interesting scope. I thought it was uh, the tension, the way the film breathes. Um, I thought Stephen Yoon. One of the things about his performance that I love so much is he's carrying. He, there, he's you understand his emotional battles of what's important to him, and like one of the struggles of the movie is that he is so determined to make it on his own and get this farm up and running that he's essentially putting his family in a position to be in a not so great living situation, mm-hmm. and at the same time, he's battling the idea that his wife wants to leave. And it's that it's that interesting struggle of, you know, that he really wants to prove that he can do this. And it's like, I, th- I think the way Steven plays it is really fascinating. But like, I think the grandmother is phenomenal. Um, there's a great dynamic between the grandmother and the uh, the son, Alan Kim. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I thought Will Patton was really great. Uh, definitely a different uh, crazy, not crazy, but just like a different type of like over the top is what I would say. Mm-hmm. He's like very over the top. In his Eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> um, crazy is the wrong word. But yeah, he, um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think that film is phenomenal. I think people should see it and I'm happy it's it's in consideration for Best Picture and, and it's ridiculous that it, it couldn't compete at the Globes, but. Jakey? Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of it. Um, it, it. I think it did a better version of what I have been saying Nomadland does. Nomadland and both Minari kind of just drop you into these worlds and uh, worlds that, that many of us are not familiar with and just kind of let you exist in mm-hmm. them and let you kind of like just absorb everything. Um, less plot driven and more just about like getting to know who these people are and what their life is. And I thought Minari did a much better job of of captivating me while I was immersed into into this culture, into this world. Um, and yeah, incredible performances and uh, really, really ended up loving the film. Cool. I'm so glad people are getting a chance to see it right yeah. now. Uh, this week, you can also check out either in limited theatrical release or on HBO Max, Judas and the Black Messiah, a film that we have discussed at length. So Which is very good, it. by the way. including Stanfield are great. I um, think Shaka King is a good director. I'm just, I just wish there was a better director um, that told the story. Um, but either way, it's very solid. We're, we're going to get Robin Wright Penn on the show very soon. We hope it hashtag it happens. Um, don't, don't make me do that. Not during, not during. Oh, you're doing it with her. Uh, who has seen Land yet? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't had a chance to check it out. I've seen it, Kev. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very, very, very. Um, tough story i mean it's 90 minute film uh her character essentially loses her family she moves out i think to the mountains in like wyoming i think if i'm not mistaken she goes um, off the and, grid right right off the grid she meets damien yeah. Bashir's character um yeah i mean it's a directorial debut from a film standpoint i know she directed house of cards episodes but uh i do want to give her props because she shot it on one six six to one which is like um a really old school ratio so it's so, for example, uh, to give it more context, a gen- like a like the Zack Snyder movie we're thinking about was Justice Justice League. If that ends up being like the the box, 
uh, imagine that format, but a little more scooted out to the side with thinner lines on the on the left and right. So okay. it's so it's so it's a it's a larger, wider image and taller image. And she did it because it really captures the beauty and the scope of where uh, where she is off the grid. And like uh, John Stewart used that uh, aspect ratio recently in his movie. Um, it's very old school. People don't really use it as often, but uh, I got to give her props for that because it was. Like Bobby Bobby Bukowski shot the film and it's it's gorgeous. I wonder why so. she chose to do it that way. Um, the Mauritanian is also opening this week, moving up from where it was supposed to open. Kevin McDonald obviously was on the show a little bit earlier. I want to celebrate uh, Tahar Rahim, um, who plays the main character uh, Salahi, who gets um, imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay. He got a nomination from the Golden Globes, gives a tremendous performance in a really difficult role, obviously holding court opposite Jodie Foster as well, too, and um, Benedict Cumberbatch when getting the chance to. Uh, it's it's a tough film to get through. Uh, it's it's a th- There's three big storylines going on in it, and I think each of them would warrant their own film. Uh, there's, like I said, the prosecutor side, the defense side, and the story of this man who's been imprisoned in Guantanamo. Um, Kevin, you mentioned after you saw it, you thought like this could make a great limited series. It almost needed like it needed more time to let those story beats play out. So yeah, and and, and it's it's similar issue that I had with Child of Chicago Seven. Go back to that for a second, where I just felt like it 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 was hitting certain beats. Like it mm-hmm. it, it felt like it was it was just. It, it didn't feel it felt like dialogue was was given as a bridge to help get to the next point versus letting it be more of a naturally flowing story and i think uh jodie foster's i mean she's great in it and i think kevin mcdonald has proven himself with what scotland and you know he's Mm -hmm. a great director um i just felt like the in this particular situation unlike trial of the seven which had a great script i didn't think the script was great here i just thought the dialogue was a bit um and cumberbatch's accent it was a little distracting. and um... <laughs> I was so glad to be able to talk to Kevin McDonald about that, too, because it's not. It doesn't work. Jake, you, no. I, don't, I don't think you've seen the movie yet, but he plays a Texan. And uh... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a not a good accent. And, and, and it's very obvious. It's a real it was just really weird casting, like very yeah. strange casting. I think Mauritanian has a great story that could be told, like you said, in the series. I just don't think that it was executed as well as it could have it also turned into a very it didn't know what it wanted to be tonally speaking it was all over the place like it it just you know it just jumped around in tone i just never latched onto it emotionally mm-hmm. i just it was it was just a little too all over the place well i'll tell you a movie that we did latch onto uh in virtually every way possible and that's barb and star go to vista del mar <laughs> and uh all I'm going to say to you guys is that your homework for the weekend, uh, or whenever you listen to this, is to go out of your way and see Barb and Star uh, immediately. I mean, like ASAP. Like, Kevin and I have literally been texting each other daily. Uh, jokes I'm going to watch it again movie. tonight. I'm going to put it on again tonight. I've seen it twice already. It's so good. It is. what I, And so we have an interview with the director next week that is going to be very spoiler heavy because... There are things that happen in this movie that you are not <laughs> anticipating. And that's all I'm going to say, uh, because I don't want to give away any of the fun. The Like, literally, Kevin saw it first, and he texted all of us, and he said, like, oh my god, this is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So my expectations were set at a, at a certain level, and literally five minutes into the movie, I had to pick up the phone and text the guys, LOLWTF, with all of these question marks, because the movie is just, 
it's insane and it's it's hysterically funny and the one of the things i would compare it to would be like a mcgruber or austin powers when you first austin powers or kevin you said pop star you're not far off from pop like it's just it's it's hilarious all right i know we gotta go but sean please back me up on how i i know it's a comedy and and this goes back to what jake and i were discussing earlier about um eddie murphy and kind of like how comedy isn't taking seriously and like you know (laughs) i think jamie dornan's performance is brilliant like it is a it is in a revolutionary performance from like for him to do this role (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It they finally tapped into genuinely how good of a talent he is. Like, because every time yes. I've ever interviewed him, like you said, we said in the interview, he's been funny, but he's been taken so seriously in the Fifty Shades movies. Mm-hmm. This it's like it's like they unlocked yeah. Pandora's box. Like they were like, this is what he needs to be doing. Well, and, <laughs> and like, you'll hear he's brilliant it, in our interview next week. You'll hear the director's tells a story about being on set with Jamie Dornan. Literally, there's a, a musical number in the middle of this film with Jamie Dornan that had me laughing so hard I lost my breath. I literally yeah. lost my breath on, on the couch. And Jamie Dornan's wife goes up to the director of Barb and Star and says, like, this is Jamie. Like, I'm glad you're yep. capturing this because this is the Jamie that all of his friends know. This is the Jamie that all of us know. He's not been able to show this side before. Uh, and you're getting to see it now. So again, and your homework, your homework. And is Annie, to see we got to give a shout out to Annie Mamula as well, her writing yeah. partner. Who, they mm-hmm. wrote Bridesmaids together. This is, and they're the stars of the film, and they wrote the film together. It is, I would argue, it's had, it was as funny, if not funnier, and impact wise as Bridesmaids. It is oh, genuinely amazing. I think it's funnier than Bridesmaids. It honestly. is. Yeah, yeah, it's just that great. Okay, let's get to this week's blend game, uh, and then again we'll have that interview with the director of Barb and Star. <laughs> star go to Vista Del Mar uh, on next week's show you guys are gonna love that one so this week we're playing uh, Morgan Freeman blend Jakey why don't you kick us off with your uh, hashtag Morgan Freeman blend pick uh, a lot to choose from obviously it goes without saying sure. um, and and I really had to go back to our discussion that we have with Gabe a lot which is not necessarily the movie that he's a part of that you love the most but also like his contribution to it his performance yes. and what he brings to it and for me I, I found the sweet spot right there in the middle which is the performance and the movie that I love and it's as much of a cliche answer as you can possibly give but I can't pick anything else other than the Shawshank Redemption okay. um, one of the single greatest films ever of all time anchored by red mm-hmm. i mean like his 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 narration you know like we we see that story through the eyes of red we mm-hmm. you know he is he is us and you know he is just i mean that character is so three-dimensional it's he's, he's so fleshed out he's so lived in and and the, the the kindness that he brings to him in in, in a, such like a not kind world it is it sounds weird to say thinking about like the sort of characters that come to mind when you say when you say this but that's one of my favorite Stephen King characters mm. and it's weird when you think of Stephen King characters you don't necessarily think of of red I feel like but I, I feel like I mean that, that that's probably like his his best performance and that it's also uh, probably the best movie that he's ever been in uh this is interesting have you ever read the short story Rita Hayworth I have. R- Rita Shaw- Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption and so is red as developed in that story 
I mean, keep in mind, most uh, Stephen King short stories are the length of most people's novels. Yeah, okay. Um, I remember reading it in middle school, okay. I think. Gotcha. Um, but, I'd be curious uh, how much of that is the screenplay, you know, and Freeman, or how much of Red was actually in that story. I, I, I think this is a situation where you could give a lot of credit to Freeman. Okay. And now, gotcha. granted, I read it after seeing the movie, so the <laughs> issue is, even as you're reading it, You've got Freeman in your mind. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I think I think I would be a better judge of or better better capable of of, of answering that question if I'd read the story first. Now I want to dig that story up. Now I kind of what is it? Is it in different it. seasons? I think it's the same. It, it's the same collection that has the body, the which body. ended up being Stand by Me. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I think also I want to say Secret Garden, Secret Window. Maybe. You know what? We should ask the KingCast guys. Uh, this is the, kind of their territory. Yeah, right. They would know. Exactly. <laughs> yes, they would know. Uh, I you know, I got to watch Shawshank on a Saturday afternoon very recently um, in one of those things where just we didn't have anything going on the day because we're all in quarantine, obviously. Uh, and it was starting on TNT. And I was like, nah, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. How does it hold up? Hot damn. <laughs> is it just? Like, there's a reason. Oh. <laughs> there's a reason everybody raves about it. It's just that great. Kev, where'd you go? I'm gonna. I'm going super random um, because it's the first thing that popped in my mind. So I want to clarify this statement by I'm saying this is not the best thing he's ever done. Uh, I, it's my favorite thing he's done on screen because it was so far away from characters I've seen him play before, and I loved him and wanted uh, with uh, James uh, McAvoy and Angelina Jolie. I don't even remember. Like I know that I remember that he is in that film, but I don't remember his performance. But the re- only doesn't reason... doesn't he say like it doesn't he have like like shoot, shoot this motherfucker this... right? <laughs> <laughs> line that one sentence is the reason i chose this movie shoot shoot this mother yeah whatever however he says it like i can't remember like, what, what does he say it's like he's like shoot this and i've only seen right it just here. the one time yeah it's so good because it's it, it was it was just it just surprised me when he said it like i i, I didn't expect that to come out of his mouth when he said it and like the way he says it and it's like i don't know for some reason i know it's a random pick but that is my favorite um <laughs> so the blank game is for yeah and again i'm i know he's done hundreds of movies that are more important and better the and, dark knight i will say i think some of the great like one of the best casting choices of all time is him as god yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. but like, i Brilliant casting. Also, one of his best roles is one of his underrated roles was Gone Baby Gone. Um, yes, uh, he's great yeah. in Gone Baby Gone. But I don't know. But every time I think of Morgan Freeman, I think I think of like, okay, if I want to watch something fun with him in it, I love throwing on Wanted. I lo- I thought Wanted was an incredible action film. But when he says "shoot this mother right here," like the way <laughs> he says that line, it was just it it blew my mind. I'm like. Did Morgan Freeman just say that? Like it was. I, don't I do know remember why. my theater reacting to that line. <laughs> like, but the way, but he says it with such passion. It's like a, it's the way he delivers it. That's what my favorite. That's funny that you went right to that line. That's exactly the reason why I chose yeah. it. So, how on earth did neither of you go with my choice, which is David Fincher's film Seven? Seven. Yeah. Okay, I love Seven more than Shawshank, but I think his contribution to Shawshank is more than his contribution to Seven. Yeah, he's better in Seven than than the movie I'm even referring to. I'm just it's just more yeah, yeah, personal yeah. that I love that yeah. I love his performance more. Yeah, but I, I I like Seven more than Shawshank. Seven is such a perfect movie. <laughs> it's such a perfect movie. If you're going to put two actors together to play uh, the grizzled, experienced snail uh, detective, you know, with the uh, 
energetic, impatient, um, you know, rabbit detective, those two are perfect. They're perfect casting for it. And giving them that case is unbelievable. Obviously, everything about Seven is unbelievable. Um, I just love Morgan Freeman in that. Like, I think I think his strength of of exuding a a confidence that comes with I've been here forever, which is why he plays God really well, I guess. <laughs> right? Like, just because he personifies a uh, a weight and intelligence that comes with experience, and so of course he'd be great as God, and he's tremendous as that detective. I love him too in those scenes where he gets to connect with Gwyneth and kind of uh, recognize like, oh, you're the one who has to deal with this AH when we're when you're he's at home kind of thing and sympathize with her and make that connection. It has a real human element to it. The only other one I almost went with was Gone Baby Gone, like Kevin said, because he's the, a that movie's phenomenal. Shawshank wasn't in contention for you. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Sean. Yeah. Sean, baby Sean, yes. do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? That's the best one in a long time. That's a good one. That do is you brilliant. remember that twist hitting for the first time? Oh, I love that twist. That's one of well, my favorite. Gone. It, my like, issue yes. is it I read the book. Blew my mind. Like that. That is single-handedly the most interesting moral dilemma yeah. that I've ever seen given in film either way you look at it it's bad yeah <laughs> but but then you gotta start thinking about the daughter then you go can you leave a mother in that mindset it's mm-hmm. really messed up like i've never seen anything that put that tore me apart like that it's rough but the Brutal. thing is i'd read the book and the thing that kills me too is that that author dennis lahane who's a tremendous writer he has a series of books with those characters with patrick and angie the two detectives who is um, Michelle Monaghan and uh, Casey Affleck. And I thought this was going to be the launch of a franchise. Like, I would have loved to see more movies with those characters because they do all of them get into, like, really complicated moral cases. And and they're tremendously written books. And um, I thought that was a franchise that got wasted because those two were really perfectly cast. They're very Boston-centric. They're soaked in Boston tropes. And and uh, I would have loved to see them continue to play it because uh, it, it would have been great. So um, Jeff Maimon, Harry Lichtman, Kimberly Sue, John Palmer, and so many others went with Shawshank. Uh, Christian Hestis chose Invictus. Phil Connors. It's, it's not Phil Connors. It's Phil Connors he was using for Groundhog Day. That's uh, Paul Swampy Marsh, another guy who listens to the show all the time. He went with uh, Bruce Almighty. Danny says, kiss the girls. Marcus Brown says, uh, an underrated pick is wanted. Kev, there you go. Someone else oh, really? wanted a wanted pick. Yes, Marcus That's Brown. An, that is an under, it's an amazing Morgan Freeman performance, by the way. And then Jake Skelly says, a toss-up between the Lego movie and Last Vegas. So I think that person might be pulling our leg. Uh, thank you so much for your participation this week. Next week, we will be playing hashtag... Right, right now, the person that wrote that has a single tear going down. <laughs> as, he, as, he, as he's sitting in front of a Las Vegas poster, there's a single tear going down. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't joking. Uh, next week, hashtag Holly Berry Blend. So please get, nice. your, oh, wow. please get your Holly Berry picks in using uh, social media. Hashtag Holly Berry Blend. Or cool, you can cool, cool. email us at realblend at simblend.com. And that is where you can also leave us a review. Which is what R. Lauren sent us this week. Uh, new listener, she writes in her subject line and says, oh, maybe it's not a, maybe Lauren's the last name. I'm not quite sure. It's R. Period Lauren. Um, I it found could be this, Ralph Lauren. 
It could be Ralph Lauren. You know? Uh, who knows? Uh, I found this podcast because of the brilliant Patty Jenkins interview, and I instantly hey. became a fan. You guys really appreciate film and have great views on topics that I don't hear a lot of people commenting on. I'm super excited to listen to upcoming episodes. Well, Ralph Lauren, we are really thankful to have you on board as a blender. And you can absolutely afford $5 a month for our premium membership. Uh, our next premium episode is going to be the 1977 Oscars in review. Did the Academy get it right? Uh, and again, you can access the premium subscription by going to bit.ly backslash Premium. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, follow us on at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV. And at Sean underscore O'Connell, uh, Real Blend account is at Real Blend. And again, go watch Barb and Star because <laughs> we're going to talk about it at length next week. And we have an interview with the director that gets into a lot of the spoilers. So until then, Hubie, uh, Hubie, why not? Can Barb and Star be the new Hubie? It's, no, it's funnier apparently. I actually Vista like Del that. Mar! Yeah, yeah. Vista Del Mar. Uh, well, well, one of us could say Barb and Star, and then the other one says goes to, goes to Vista Del Mar. Like, we, we should like we should like time it out. Like I say, Barb and Star. Title. Jake goes goes to, and you go Vista Del Mar. That's how we end the show every week. There you go. We've never been that coordinated. No <laughs> <once>. <laughs>